0: This is a Willets Point-Shea Stadium bound 7 express train. The next and last stop is Willets Point-Shea Stadium.
1: It is. Subway to Shea podcast, episode 106 from the Subway to Shea studio in my office. What a whirlwind of the last two weeks it has been for me. Last time we spoke, I just came off of being a guest on WFAN for my buddy Al Cintrone, who was filling in at the time. Since then, uh, working with uh, Dexter Henry in the New York Post uh, and their SNY shorts, I was a guest on Queen's Corner podcast with uh, Wardy NY am for the seven line. I did an Instagram live. You can still check that out on my Instagram page with uh Dan Abrams of Athlete Logos. and You know him from all those shirts and uh, media that he has coming out. So check that out on my Instagram page and co-hosted Amazing But True podcast recently with uh, former Mets pitcher Nelson Figueroa filling in for my good buddy Jake Brown. Huge shout out to all of them. Thankful to every single one of them who had me on and has been a part of this journey and also including Andrew hearts as well because he is the producer for the Amazing But True podcast. So I hope you guys enjoyed all that content. It's been a while trying to get this podcast up and running. Uh I I enjoyed doing it and I hope you enjoyed it as well. Very humble for it. Unreal to situation. I mean I, I it's a speechless for me. Uh awesome experience all the way around. But uh Subway so, to Shape podcast isn't going anywhere. We're still doing this podcast, still going to be creating here. Just the scheduling has been a little bit tough for me. Uh, but we're back today, better than ever, and on with today's show, I got to talk to you about the experience that I had at the Mets Hall of Fame ceremony, took my dad out there on Saturday, a fun experience. The Mets just do everything so well uh, with the Coens, and, and even the Mets players, everyone who's talked, always raves about what the Cohens have brought to the Mets organization, not only you know with the money, obviously, but allowing us to enjoy the history that this team has provided. It was great to see uh, a lot of emotions that I had watching all these guys get inducted this weekend. With the Hall of Fame ceremony this weekend, I thought I'd bring on a guy who lives and breathes Mets history. It's been a long time coming, but I'm glad to finally have on John Struble, the creator of Mets rewind it's a wonderful resource in mets history uh the slogan making baseball history every day uh john finally welcome to the subway to shape podcast how you doing my friend
0: thank you so much anthony i am doing really well um if you keep being such a rock star, that long list of kudos is going to get so long. You might have to do a separate <laughs> show just for that piece. But congratulations on all the recent success and and being on some of those major platforms, too. It's really nice for your work. So Thank I enjoy so it. Yeah, I enjoy and subscribe to your podcast and listen pretty much every day unless I get caught up with work. So Uh, You do great work, and thank you for having me on.
1: Oh, I appreciate it. Like I said, it's been a long time coming. You were really one of the first, you know, uh, influencers, creators that I started following because I really wanted to start delving into Met's history. You know, I'm starting to read a lot of books, but, you know, your website really was one of the first that delved into this history, And, and a lot of people, you know, They'll make fun of the Mets and, and the history that they have. But it's, you know, like a lot of Mets fans say, it's our history. And you really bring it to a nice light with the stories you've had and the podcast that you've done uh, with all the guests that you've had in Mets history. And, you know, it's it's really something that I always look forward to and I'm excited to delve into. And you were one of the first ones to do it, even so much, you know, sometimes better than the Mets did at the time when, you know, the Wilpons were involved. So, you know, kudos to all the work that you've done and for bringing such great history to this team and, and shedding it in such a great light.
0: Well, thanks, Anthony. That's uh, that's really exciting to hear. And I'm glad that fans are enjoying it, including yourself. And I, I will tell you this, it was I believe it was the two it was either in 2018 or 2019. The Mets were playing a weekday game. It was in the evening. They were playing the Marlins in, in Miami. And um I was literally, Anthony, a tap away from saying, you know what? I, I going into whatever season that was, 18 or 19, I said, I'm really gonna do this. Um the very best i can and see what happens over the next year and if it doesn't begin to really pick up some momentum and some traction i'm probably just going to call it in and uh it was probably midsummer and it, it just wasn't where I wanted it to be. And I was watching this Mets Marlins game and all of a sudden my phone started blowing up DMs and text messages. Are Are you listening to Howie Rose? And I said, no, I'm watching the game on TV. And they said, he's talking about Mets Rewind. And I said, Uh oh, that, that could either be real good or it could be really bad. And uh, I went back and I listened to the game. I was probably the fifth or sixth inning. I think I have it in my Substack um, newsletter today, the actual clip where he was talking about. I, I had posted maybe a 10 second clip of Ron Santo, the old Cubs player who. Uh, whenever they would beat the Mets in '69, would click his heels on the field, and that would really irritate the Mets. Of course, the Mets come back and had the last laugh on that one in '69. But Howie was talking about that clip, and just was very kind. I had never met Howie. Uh, I didn't have any influence on that at all. And of course, after he mentioned that, boom, it kind of took off. I got a burst of of traction there, and then it just picked up from there. So. I always look back and and every time I talk to Howie now, I, I'm just so grateful. And he's like, it's no big deal. It's, you know, but to me, it was a big deal at the time. So I'm so grateful for him. And I think he really exuded that on Saturday, how grateful he is to fans as well. Oh, yeah. Um, and Gary was the same way. And uh, I, I haven't met Gary, but I mean, Gary's um, speech there on Saturday was the same way. He, they're one of us. And, uh, you know, and I think that's what makes them so endearing to Mets fans as well. So, yeah, thank you for the kind words. And and I'm so glad you follow along. And, and I hope along the way I bring some content, um, some news stories to Mets history that weren't told before. That's always my, a real rush for me when someone, a player can tell a story that they haven't hasn't been repeated in books and documentaries and newspaper clippings year after year after year. So it's exciting.
1: You know, something that I always um, look forward to, especially with your coverage and it it really doesn't get, talked about as much you know you always hear about the 69 team you always hear about 86 um you know most recently for me are the teams you know I started watching baseball in 1998 so you got the 98 99 2000 Mets 2006 mm-hmm. 2015 but you know something that you brought out that I really enjoy and you're also covering 73 this season so mm-hmm. uh I love that content as well but you, you also you know delved into the team you know, when they were at the polo grounds, something that really doesn't get talked about as much is, is their time at the polo grounds. We're now what uh it would be sixty years now away from them closing the polo grounds, just about that's correct. So I, I really enjoyed that as well. Um, like you said, you know, even with me when it comes to creating content, there comes a point where you know you, you're doing all the work and like sometimes you feel, you know, maybe maybe it's just not it. You know, maybe it's time. And especially there are so many Mets creators out there. And mm. not to say that everyone's, you know, competing against each other. I like it to, to think of us all as a family. And, you know, I've worked with a lot of content creators and they do a lot of great work. And, you know, what I love about your work so much is it's it's very niche. I mean, we you know, for such a long time before the um, before before Steve and Alex Cohen came around. And before we got old timers day again, you know, the history of the Mets, it wasn't really talked about who ever thought that, you know, we'd see Keith Hernandez's number getting retired. I never thought of it. Um, I know that they did commission the Wilpons did commission the Tom Seaver statue before they left, but you know, I feel like it was too late. You know, Tom didn't get to enjoy it and he should have because he lived and breathed this team. So what you've done bringing all of this together, like I said, uh, I I love it, and it's something that I will continue to, you know, read, listen to, watch, and, um, you know, you mentioned Howie Rose, so I want to get into the Hall of Fame right now. Sure. Uh, he got inducted alongside Gary, you mentioned, uh, Hojo, Howard Johnson, Al Leiter, and a Jay, Jay Horowitz. He receives the Achievement Award. You know, a beautiful uh, video packages were done for them. Uh, what did you think of just the whole ceremony uh, altogether? I thought it
0: was wonderful. Obviously, um, someone co- who comes from a broadcasting side, Howie and Gary mean a lot to me. Um, I grew up in the era of Bob Murphy, Ralph Kinder, Lindsey Nelson. Um so uh Murph means a, a whole lot to me and to hear Gary talk about uh the 15 years that he spent with Murph and what that meant to him. I think is really really generous and kind that he showed and he showed the respect to Murph, the guy who came before him. Howie was just outstanding. He was Right on point, he knows where the touch points are for fans, and he was fantastic. And obviously, Hojo is great, and Al Leiter. You know, if there's one guy I haven't had on my podcast yet that I still hope to one day get an opportunity to talk to him about baseball in general, where the game is today, but his time with the Mets and his enthusiasm for the Mets, because he comes from a fan perspective first, you can hear that in his voice, you could hear that in his presentation and also you know, you grew up, you said, in 98, 99. So you were there when he won that game against the Reds. And oh, yeah. His competitive spirit on the field was a driving force for those late 90s teams and the team that eventually went to the World Series. Won 95 games. I thought I thought they were all outstanding. And to see all their families on the field as well, I thought it was outstanding. I asked today on um, Twitter if there were one player or manager or coach or uh, – personnel that is not yet inducted and you could have that magic wand to induct them who would you choose i was kind of hoping to see more people give credit to carlos beltran and it goes back to that 2006 strikeout um I know that's part of history and, and what happened there, but Carlos was a great Met for a long time. Of course, some of his late years in the game are a little bit more tainted because of what happened in Houston and his his fallout with the Mets because of that. But there's no question in my mind David Wright deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, it's just a matter of time. I don't know what the qualifications are if they do it like the uh, the traditional Hall of Fame where it's a five-year wait or not. But uh, I think Beltran and Wright are the two much more modern era guys that belong in there. If you look at that list, there's 34 of them now. So it's great to have those guys honored. And you're right. If we go back and we look, Anthony, at um, from the time the Coens took over, it's really been um, embracing Mets history. And that goes for you, for me, for any Mets fan, opening the doors and the ballpark to them so that it's not only their home and they feel like it's their home, but they could see their history and all that surrounding them, literally surrounding them now from all the wall plaques to uh, the Tom Seaver um, bronze statue out front. All those things just really make it much more Mets friendly.
1: Yeah. It it really does seem that city field is becoming more of our home where it did not feel that way for the first decade that it was, it was out. I mean, it, it did really, you know, obviously they have the Jackie, Robinson Rotunda. And uh, with all due respect, uh, I, I do enjoy that. And I do like that but it's not ours, you know, it it was, it's miss, it was missing stuff and to see what they've done and how they made it feel like a home for us. And even with the Mets hall of fame, as soon as me and my dad got to Citi field for that game, we got there very early. We walked through the hall of fame and just to enjoy all of the memorabilia that's there and to revel in all of that, that surrounds you of this Mets history, uh, you know, that it's something that I'll never forget. And I'm probably going to keep walking through that, hall of fame whenever i have a chance to uh just a uh, wonderful stuff you mentioned al Leiter. i wanted to bring him up because you know growing up every era of the mets and i have talked about this in the past and a lot of the fans of subway to shea will probably <laughs> hear me mention it again but you know there was always an ace for met fans tom mm-hmm. Seaver. you know mm-hmm. you have dwight gooden obviously johan santana could be a part of that uh Jacob deGrom recently. When I was growing up, it was Al Leiter. Al was. Leiter was the ace of the staff. Even when Mike Hampton was there, Al that- Leiter was the ace of that staff. And, you know, you're going over the 73 team now, and every time I would see Al Leiter, somehow reminded me of Tug McGraw. Now, I could be wrong, but the mannerisms, um, just the way he would pound his fist when he'd, he'd get a big out or if he'd made a mistake, uh, Al Leiter always reminded me somewhat of Tug McGraw.
0: Yeah, I think... I think you're spot on. If you go back and watch that 99 game on YouTube and when he gets to two outs in an inning, that spirit, that enthusiasm that he brought to the field, that leadership quality, that spirit of, I want to do this not just for me, but for the Mets fans, you could really feel it and sense it in Al Leiter. And that's what I think is so beautiful about his relationship and story to the Mets because he comes from being a Mets fan first. And you and I can both recognize that and connect with that Um, whereas other guys who are great players come to the team you know an example Tom Glavin he'll always be remembered as an Atlanta Brave to me of course it doesn't matter what he did right at the end of his career he had some great games with the Mets won his 300th game as a Met but he wasn't a Met you know he wasn't a guy who came up with the Mets he didn't grow up watching the Mets even though he got drafted by the Braves How lighter did and you could see it and you could see it in his game and his presence on the field. And even now, he's so respectful of the franchise and what they've done. Um, He's awesome. I think he's great.
1: You know, it's funny um, moving on to Gary Cohen and Howie Rose. You know, Gary Cohen right now is so remembered. For his work on SNY, for his mm. work with Keith and Ron. Now they're the longest running team. But uh, people forget, you know, they were swapped, right? right? Howie was on TV with Fran Healy and, right. you know, Gary was with Bob Murphy. So yeah. it, it's interesting that, you know, they both switched roles and they both succeeded in both of those roles. I mean, he could you could put both of them in the Hall of Fame for one radio and one TV. So yeah. We have been so blessed as Met fans to get to enjoy such great broadcasting uh, that, you know, when the time comes and if they retire, I mean, I, I don't know if it'll ever be the same again, but we are in the midst of two absolute, not only legends in Mets history, but I mm. think in all of sports and baseball as well.
0: Mm. I think you're right. Um, and And prior to them. Um, the guys who preceded them, Ralph, Lindsay, and Bob were the same way. And fans probably thought, boy, when they retire or they pass on, it's never going to be the same. No, it wasn't the same, but it was equally as good in its own way. You took Gary Cohn, a guy who never played baseball, and surrounded him with two guys from 1986 and that team, and all that meant, and put him right in the middle of it. And Gary is such a sound broadcaster and a leadership in the booth that he from day one, I think really balance the other two out. And uh, yeah, it, it won't be the same when those three guys are gone, when when our three guys of today are gone, but it'll be someone different and hopefully equally as good. Um, the Mets just have had a history of doing that. I know every home team's fan will say well you know the phillies guys are the best or harry callis was the best or ernie harwell was the best vin scully was the best in in your voice in your growing up in your history they were the soundtrack of your summer in los angeles and detroit and all those different places but not in new york and now i think gary and and howie have such reverence that it's just expanded now with technology you can listen to mets games anywhere So that's the beauty of it. Now,
1: I know you mentioned Carlos Beltran as being someone you'd like to see be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Mm. Some of the things that I've noticed – uh, for over the last couple of years. And I, you know, I think they, they, they've, they it's kind of been a pattern where it's, they'll do the Hall of Fame, maybe they'll retire a number. The next year they'll do the Hall of Fame. They don't do it where they've done, you know, both. You know, I obviously last year they did Keith and then they did Old Timers Day. This year we're just getting the Hall of Fame. So maybe we'll get a number retirement next year. Uh, one, who would you like to see number retired? And then um, outside of Carlos Beltran, because I know uh, when they do these Hall of Fame, it's kind of like era based. So we'll get someone from, you know, like in uh, 2019, it was um, it, it was a uh, uh, Matlack, I um, got Alfonso, Ron Darling, three different eras, three very important teams for the Mets. So one was the question is, what, what uh, would you like to see number retired next? And outside of Carlos Beltran, who do you think would be next for the Hall of Fame?
0: I think number retirement, when you think of number five, I think David Wright is the guy. If the timing's right, I don't know if they want to see him be away from the game for a certain amount of time. I'm sure there's some qualifications behind the scenes that for you to be a qualifier, you're you're, retired for X amount of years. And David's been gone a few, but I think we're at the point where they're not going to let anyone wear number five from here on out. To the day they retire that number. It's it's really a matter of time. If if he is qualified and they feel it's strongly enough, I believe number five needs to be up there on the rafters. Um and then as far as Hall of Fame, beyond that, um, I think less as a player and in, in performance-wise, but more as what he meant to the to the club and the organization as a whole is Ed Cranepool is someone I think that has garnered a lot of respect and attention and love from the fan base. He loves the fans. The fans love him. Look, fact of the matter is everybody thought he was going to be Mickey Mantle, and he wasn't, you know, and they they depended on Crane Pool for a long time. Well, they had a lot of other problems in the early 60s as well. Um, so I, I don't think Crane Pool became the player they had thought he was going to be. But I think with 18 years, he played his entire career as a New York mat from 62 to 79. Wonderful man is an ambassador of the club. I think going in the hall of fame from that original 62 team, even though he came up mid-season, some people will say he's not an original Met, but I, I look at that definition of anybody who played for that 62 team is part of that original Mets team. So um, I think Cranepool's the other guy. So you know, when you look at guys going in the hall of fame, I would say Wright, Beltran, and and Cranepool. In the next class, and David Wright, I think, has to have his number retired.
1: Speaking of the uh Hall of Fame, you gotta tell us a little bit about the Mets Rewind Hall of Fame. And what I like about it is it's very much fan involvement. You mm-hmm. allow the fans to vote in and, and- pick who they want to be in this Hall of Fame. So, you know, tell us a little more if there are fans that aren't uh, following Mets Rewind as much. Tell them, you know, what this whole Mets Rewind Hall of Fame entails. Who's in it? Uh, who's up in this
0: ballot coming up? Yeah. Uh, this year's ballot as compared to the first one. Now, the first one, the original Mets Hall of Fame ballot came about because the Mets weren't doing a whole lot in terms of historical um, acknowledgement. So I decided. It it seemed like there was a period of time where no one was getting inducted into the Mets Hall of Fame, or at least it wasn't getting promoted enough. So I just, I put 15 players on a ballot, said you pick the top five, the top three will go in, and it's that simple. Um, Right now we have 15 on the 2023 ballot. That ballot has been open since January 1st and will run through July 3rd. July 4th we'll announce the inductees to the 2023 class. And right now, leading on that ballot, Cleon Jones is number one. Gary Cohn is number two. Carlos Beltran is number three. Bud Harrelson is number four. And Lindsey Nelson is number five. And if people want to vote, they can go to MetsRewind.com HOF, Hall of Fame. And uh, we will announce the class in just less than a month.
1: Yeah, please go out there, Mets fans. Vote on MetsRewind.com. This is your opportunity to vote in who you want to be in the Hall of Fame because we always talk about it, right? We always talk, oh, can this guy be in the Mets Hall of Fame? When is this one getting in? This is your opportunity to do it. So you got you to get on the website and and definitely vote on uh, MetsRewind.com. Uh, um, you have, obviously, a bigger following than I do because uh, you've been doing this, obviously, for s- such a long time and, and doing such a great job in, in bringing this history to us. Uh, but for those who don't maybe know about Mets Rewind tell everyone a little bit about it.
0: Yeah, Mets Rewind simply is a celebration of Mets history and if you go back and you look at uh since 1962 to today, the Mets have had some amazing teams, they've had some heartbreaking teams, they've had some great players, they've had some really bad players, but we celebrate all that. Um we don't occasionally I'll get someone on Twitter saying, you know, do you have to bring up Jason Bay or do you have to bring up this player, or that player? I'm like, they're part of history. And I promote the team, but they are part of the fabric of that team, even if it was for a short period of time. Uh, you know, the original Mets in 62, when they acquired um, Marv Throneberry, he, he was known for everything that the Mets made fun of, but he was beloved in 62 they had they had a team in new york that they could root for but if you look through mets history some of the great pitchers some of the great hitters that came through there mike piazza pedro martinez you know we went through some of them de all those guys nolan ryan tom Seaver, on and on and on um the 86 team, the 69 team, the 73 team, which right now, when I draw comparisons to this current team that's playing at 500 and I draw a comparison to a team, the Mets were less talented in 73, but they're playing about equally the same as this current team. I think the new, the current Mets team is a much better team on paper, and I think they will eventually get it together To some degree, um, hopefully enough to get him in the playoffs. But 73, you got to remember, there were two divisions. No wildcard races. So you had to win the division and the Mets pulled it out at the end, 82 and 79. And they went on and they beat the vaunted Reds to get to the World Series and were one win away from winning that world championship. So, you know, we celebrate all those things, all those. There's some amazing games in Mets history. You know, the Black Cat game and the ball off the wall game. In '73, and all you could go back to Piazza home run game, all these Santana's no hitter, all these different things that um they make it. Uh, the fruit is low hanging in terms of content. There's a lot of good stuff there. My idea is, what can I tell you about that game, that player, that moment in history that you don't know about already from reading every book, newspaper clipping, watching a documentary, watching one of those Mets yearbooks? It's not, I try not to um, focus so much on all the content that's already there, although some of that is factual. I try and bring some new thought to it. And I'll give you a good example. Um, No one knew this story, but Doug Flynn was traded as part of the deal that brought Tom Seaver to the Mets. About two or three weeks after he gets to New York, never lived in New York, Kentucky boy, his sister goes missing back in Kentucky. To this day, they have never found her. And he was living with that, but it never got out in the media. Um, They've hired all kinds of investigative teams, don't know what happened to her, never found her clothing, not a stitch, just disappeared into the into the dark night one night. And so he was living with that. So what's a player go through? Imagine someone like Francisco Lindor going through something like that with the with the current rough streak he's in. What do you think about the player then? how do you concentrate on the game? How do you focus on the game when there's this major traumatic event going on in your life? And sometimes players don't want to share that in particular. Um, Recently, I had a conversation with um, Bill Pulsifer, who suffers from mental illness, and I didn't ask him anything out of the blue other than the typical questions, but he got really upset with me, and he may just have been going through something and stopped the interview on a dime, threw some expletives at me, told me not to publish anything. And I said, okay, but I wasn't trying to peel stuff out of him that he wasn't ready to do. But sometimes players are resistant to do that. And sometimes players are very open about that. Pat Zachary lost his wife. You know, he, he got into a car accident, lost his wife. And he tells that story openly. And it's it's, it's on the Mets podcast that I that I did with him. And it's a very emotional story. But guys will tell you stories if, if you just let them go. And there's some great stories going on behind the scenes. So um another great guy to talk to is uh i like to find the guys anthony that aren't necessarily daryl strawberry and dwight gooden who are great people but they've been written about yeah. ad nauseum i like to find were you standing next daryl strawberry on this date or were you in the dugout you know not telling stories on strawberry but it's like What were the reaction of the guys on both sides of you in the locker room when this happened or that happened? And try and get them, they're part of history too. They're witnessing it or living it as well. So it's a lot of fun trying to get some of those guys who are a little bit more on the edges of Mets history because they see a lot of things and know a lot of things that nobody bothers to ask them about.
1: Yeah. And it's kind of like the title of that movie, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. And the Mets have all of it. The Mets have all of it. And the fact that you cover everything, uh, I think that's great. Uh, You know, a lot of fans want to stick to all the great things that happen, But, Mm -hmm. you know, there's underlying history that needs to be uncovered and you've done that uh, to a tee so uh yeah that that's that's a huge reason why a lot of people should go to MetsRewind.com and should follow all of your work once again I'm here with John Struble the creator of Mets Rewind a one-stop shop and a great resource for learning about Mets history now let's talk about this Current team, these 2023 Mets. Uh, right now they feel mediocre. They feel uh the mediocre Mets, as I, I have it quoted down here. Are the Mets going through just a tough stretch? Or, or are they do you think that they're really mediocre?
0: If I had the answer to that question, Anthony, I'd solve <laughs> the problem, wouldn't I? Um it's it's sometimes I feel like they're coming out of it. You know, they'll have a stretch where they play four, five, six games in a row, and they may not win. They may win five of the six, but they, they're they hitting better. They're clicking better. It seemed like the pitching was just starting to come together last week. Senga had a great game. Verlander pitched a couple great, real good, good games in a row. Um You got two or three good games in a row out of Scherzer. I was really concerned about him when he was sidelined, and I thought, okay, the bats will start to hit a little more, but the pitching's carrying them right now. So I think we're in a good spot. Uh, The bats will eventually come out of it. So you go into this week, then the bullpen blows up. And rightly so. They're just exhausted, I think, at this point.
1: Absolutely. Um,
0: And and they're going to have to do something there. The Mets are going to have to either do something from a starting pitching standpoint, or they're going to have to do something from a... uh, reliever standpoint uh but they're not going to get it in house there's not much resources left even in the minor leagues so i don't know what what the answer to that question is if if they can start hitting well they can they can beat teams because senka didn't pitch too bad after that for that one really bad inning he had um i didn't think he was as bad as his numbers had shown but um he's terrible on the road so who knows what what the Answer to that is he's really just a rookie in Major League Baseball. I don't have a clue. What are what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, a lot of people were asking why did they put Sanga in on short rest? And like you said, he has a really good home. You know, record in ERA, and he's very bad on the road. So I think they wanted to get one more start if they could get two starts out of him at home and avoid him going into Atlanta and having an implosion. Then that was the right move to make. It just didn't work out that day. Maybe Buck took him out too early. I mean, like you said, he wasn't awful, but you know, only I think he only threw sixty pitches. Like at some point, these pitchers, even if they're having a bad outing, these starters are going to have to bite the bullet and and try to get to six innings. Even if even if it's a blowout game, the bullpen needs rest. And I I've talked about this on Twitter. It just felt like a seesaw home stand, right? You know, they got swept. They they swept the Phillies, then got swept by the Blue Jays. The offensive struggles from Lindor to even Alonzo, who's been struggling. Their big guys are struggling, and we know that the you know smaller component players have been struggling all year. Then you got the pitching woes from you know the whole Sanga thing on Sunday. The bullpen is overused, like you mentioned. They're already exhausted and tired what concerns you most about the team after this whole homestand
0: whether or not they can hit and hit consistently um, they'll show signs of coming out of it, but then they completely play two or three games like they did over the weekend and, and can barely score a run. Um, I'm concerned whether how much is left in the tank with Starling Marte. Um, I'm concerned if, if Canuck can keep playing like he did in the past couple of weeks, if he can get back to that on a regular basis, the Mets could not uh, could add some depth there. Um, Alonzo need to start hitting more consistently. Lindor needs to get out of that funk and um even Nimmo has had his struggles to some degree more recently um and that's concerning to me so you know Brett Beatty I think is still trying to figure it out and I and it's funny because I think Beatty and um Vientos are struggling a little bit to get really going at the major league level. But I think Alvarez has done a better job of that. He's hit key home runs in key situations too, uh, which I think have really kind of elevated his game. But I think we have a good catcher in the future without a doubt. W- w- I mean, what do you do at this point? If, if you're going to pull the plug, bring Marcian, uh, uh Mauricio up and, you know, trade off some of these pieces, the Vogel box, the, the guys that are just spending time doing nothing. So
1: yeah, and, and to not make these kids out to be the saviors right. right now is important because they're just kids still, they're still learning. Uh Beatty's going through it. I know he'll get out of it, but he's just right. going through it. Vientos is not having enough playing time, so you know that's affecting him. You mentioned Alvarez and how he's turned the corner. You know, he was the number one overall, right? In the minor league system. And that's why we know why. We know what we can get from. We've seen the flashes on defense, we've seen big offensive plays and uh, home runs from him so uh, these kids should not be relied upon to be the saviors of the team when you have a core of veterans and stars who should be leading the way and are struggling as well so the offense needs to pick it up and it's kind of like a trickle down effect I mentioned this on uh, the amazing but true uh, podcast you know the pitching the starting pitching does not do well right it affects the bullpen and when they're giving up a lot of runs it affects the offense we saw that on Sunday. They were down for nothing. They valiantly fought back and then right away they give it up and the air out of the sails just went right out and and they were done. Uh, You saw it in the next day. I always, whenever there's a Crushing, I guess, run that they give up. I always see if they can bounce back in the next inning, even if it's just to get one run in. Right. If they go down in order and and go down in like five or six pitches, which has happened a lot this season, that's kind of a telling sign for me that they're they're just not in it for the day. And they could not they cannot overcome it on Sunday. So uh this Mets team needs to figure out a way to turn it around. They did make a move already. Uh, Tomas Nito got uh, designated for assignment. Uh, Omar Nevaez is coming back off IL. Uh, What did you think of them designating uh, Nito for assignment? Because to me, if it was up to me right now, I would have done one or two things. I would either carry... Three catchers, or uh, find some way to bring back Luis Guillorme to get Francisco Lindor some rest, get him a day off or two, let Giorme play shortstop. Because to me, if there's anyone that the Mets should designate for assignment, to me it's Daniel Vogelback because he does not provide much when it comes to offense, as you know, a protocol, a prototypical DH would, and in the spot that he hits, which consists of having to drive in runs, which he doesn't do, um, he doesn't really provide much because he also does not play any defense so he would have been the guy that i would have designated for assignment what are your thoughts on the whole Nito situation
0: yeah i agree with you i i would have carried three catchers and used one of those guys who wasn't catching in the DH spot and then DFA um Vogelbach and move on from there because I think that's where the Mets would have been better off but I, you know you brought up a point that I think about it compared to last year I'm like how did this team do it last year because you're dealing with the same core of players last year this year and how did they do it well the, as as they talked about it on the broadcast the last couple of days the Mets have not really had to deal with coming from behind early all of last year they would be up three nothing four nothing and then cling to a win this team is getting down 4-0 and then they can come back and get close and make it a game but they can't get over the top so they're kind of operating from a a different perspective right now too so i think that's difficult on the offense it puts a lot of pressure if you give up four runs in the first inning you know they can't be expected to 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 come back every night from a two, three, four run deficit, uh they have good pitching. It may be a blip by one of the starting pitchers gives up two or three runs. Okay, they got great hitting; they could come back from that. But it seems consistently every night that that is happening, and I think that's wearing down on the offense too.
1: Yeah, and I think it it may be some part mental too, right? You know, you mm-hmm. look at what happened last September. Uh, Actually, the whole year, right? You know, they had very good offense. It wasn't very powerful. They weren't hitting for power. But they were bringing in runs by any means necessary, right? Sacrifices, uh, you know, walks, uh, bunting. They were doing it all. And then it sort of changed in September. And they kind of fell apart. They blew the lead. And they lost the division and got quickly ousted by the San Diego Padres. I don't know if some of that is still affecting them. Then you come into this year, you lose Edwin Diaz right off the bat. You don't have a close. Although David Robertson has done a commendable job, has done a great job, but he should really be your setup man. And then you have Brooks Raley and Adam Adovino to go to in the bullpen instead of, you know, seeing Dominic Leone every night or uh, Jeff Brigham every night, uh, even a, a Drew Smith who hasn't taken the step, the next step to the next level. Uh, it just seems that all of this is affecting them. We knew, you know, Canna probably should be kind of platooning with a Tommy Pham and they seem to, when they get a little bit of time they seem to do well fam did well on sunday last week uh mark Hanna did well and it the pieces that fell well for them last year are not happening this year and they're really doing a disservice to themselves because last year they built up a huge lead that it took a historic run from the Braves to take the division from them for one game and yeah. this year they're at a point where their margin for error is not very good and that's only uh talking about the wild card now because you know the Pirates are playing well this season a lot of teams that weren't playing well last season are doing it this season so the Mets are going to have to you know at 30 and 30 now with the Braves going going into Atlanta, they're really going to have to have a gut check time and get things going as we move to the rest of the season, maybe get some bullpen piece or, or something before the trade deadline, which is becoming a lot harder. The Mets need to adjust to me to this new system, this new playoff system, this new um, you know trade deadline where a lot of teams are still in it. And if you're going to make a trade, you're going to have to give up a lot of pieces for it. So even for a bullpen piece. So um, the Mets are going to have to really you know, like I said, it's gut check time for them.
0: Mm. Yeah, the next four to six weeks leading up to that All-Star break are going to be very telling because they get to play the Braves and they get to play some of these division rivals again. So where will the Mets land when it comes All-Star break time and we hit that trade deadline? Um, Wherever they are, they've got some real hard decisions to make as to what they want to do. And those younger pieces that may not be clicking yet at the major league level, you don't want to give up on those guys too early. And they don't have a whole lot of depth in the in the farm system um so where do you go where do you find the pieces to trade off if you're going to try and compete for a wild card and you think that that one extra piece in the bullpen or that one extra bat is going to put you over the top into a championship series and possibly a world series bid um that's asking a lot for one more person but you're right you made a great point Anthony about the three young guys don't put too much pressure on them to carry the weight when you got Pete Alonso Brandon Nimmo, uh Francisco Lindor, these guys were paid a lot of money to come here and and be that core middle of the lineup and it's just not getting done now. So you know, if they don't get it done, season's over. I mean, if they if they don't come out of these funks and start uh, getting a little more patient at the plate, that's another thing I've i noticed, too, that the Mets are getting a little more aggressive. McNeil's always been aggressive early in the count, but, you know, Nimmo has been better at that, but he's been a little bit more um, jumping at earlier pitches in the count. And, you know, he used to work out a lot of walks last year. So um, I'm interested to see if if they can do that and really turn this thing around. It's going to be interesting at 500 it could go either way real fast
1: yeah the key for this team is to find some sort of medium some sort of consistency from the pitching uh to the bullpen to the offense need to find a way to be consistent and that's what's going to take them to the postseason uh john this has been just a wonderful episode uh for me personally uh, i've been looking to talking with you for such a long time i can talk to you for hours honestly Um, but I I can't thank you enough for doing this uh, for joining the podcast today and uh, do me a favor just let everyone know uh, what you got going on right now at Mets Rewind besides the the Hall of Fame um, and how they can you know stay in touch with you
0: yeah Mets Rewind is available by newsletter through Substack at MetsRewind.Substack.com you can subscribe or sign up for a a free week subscription right now if you go there Um, and once you have that free subscription you can access all the podcasts i've done all the ones i've talked about uh, through the next week and if you like it after a week i encourage you to subscribe for as little as five bucks a month um so that's the best way to get to me this friday we'll have felix Meon from the 73 team uh, a feature interview with him. So we're excited about that a little bit later in the summer. We're going to have Cleon Jones from 73. Those guys are fading away too. So we already had Ed Cranepool on. So um, we're trying to get as many of those guys back to the table and, and get their voice on the podcast as, as soon as we can. So thank you so much, Anthony. I, again, I love subway to Shea and I love the podcast and you're so informative and you're uh, so thoughtful about the Mets and, and very, even about this you know it's a 162 game season let's not go nuts yet I mean the Mets could go on a run win five or six in a row then everything's forgotten and and good again and the Mets you know are within a couple games of first but you know if they go into Atlanta and (laughs) it's probably not gonna happen because the Mets have a tough time in Atlanta but say they go into Atlanta and sweet they're only five and a half out right now They'd be two and a half. Well, it's possible. I mean, anything's possible in baseball. So um, hopefully the bats start picking up a little bit and not everybody needs to start hitting and going four for four every game, but some of these guys need to start coming out of it and picking up the big hits in, in the key situations to get us over the top. And hopefully that'll take some pressure off the young guys and the young guys can start swinging the bat more successfully too. But thank you for all you do as well, Anthony. It's been great. And I'm happy to come on anytime you need me.
1: Thank you you so so much, John. And I, um, like I said, I hope to have you on again soon and uh, this will be, uh, We'll do this even more, talk even more, more history and uh, more current Mets. Uh, You take care and you have a great one. Thanks, Anthony. All right. That was John Struble, the creator of Mets Rewind. That's going to wrap up the Subway to Shape podcast. I hope you enjoyed it because I had such a fun time. You can follow on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Subway to Shea. Listen, subscribe to the Subway to Shea podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Turn on those notifications to never miss an episode of Subway to Shea. You can rate the show and leave comments for me to review. Let me know what you thought of this episode. I want to hear from you. So make sure to... uh rate that show 1 to 5 stars and leave some comments don't forget to follow my work for Rising Apple Rising Apple's a New York Mets site on the Fan Sighted Network you can read my articles by going to RisingApple.com and make sure to follow Rising Apple on Twitter at Rising Apple blog and the Fan Sided Network at Fan Sided. I'm going to put a link to my newest article which is Why You Can Trust Eduardo Escobar now don't get too crazy because you heard the headlines Why You Can Trust Eduardo Escobar read it because there's a reason why I'm saying that so make sure you read that if you enjoyed uh watching on youtube as well you could please leave a like and leave me uh comments there as well i want to hear from you on that make sure to subscribe on youtube to subway to shea make sure you hit all the notifications and updates from that channel thank you everyone for tuning in for anthony rivera this is the subway to shea podcast and always remember let's go mets